0: Hello everybody, it's Must See Monday, so it must be another Must See Matches. Uh, I am Kieran Fort here as ever with the master of the Must See Matches project, Mark Buckledee. Mark, how are you doing?
1: I'm good, thanks. Excellent.
0: Uh, we have a very special guest today. It's only cost him 20 quid and he'll get his free pint at the end. It's Jamesy. How are you doing? <laughs>
2: That's a very topical joke. That, um,
0: it is. It's not going to age well, I don't
1: think. But <laughs> if I someone's listening it. in
2: six months' time, I'm not sure. But, well, uh, I
1: mean, do you know what else doesn't age well? Modern progress. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we dealt with progress last week. This week, we are going a long way back in time. Uh, we are going back to September the 22nd, 1996, In Your House, number 10, Mind Games, uh, Shawn Michaels versus Mankind for the WWF title. Um, I mean... I'm just thinking, like, this match is 26 years old. Do we need to explain who these people are? Surely everybody knows Shawn Michaels, right? Even in his current role as, like, the man behind NXT, I assume he still is these days. But are there people who don't know who Mick Foley is, or at least the Mankind character? Uh, There's definitely going to be people who don't know what an in-your-house is. Uh, surely they
2: do i i think the i think the level of nerds that listens to this show yeah. and that, and that involves themselves <laughs> in this project probably has a good idea who it calls. all right fair uh, enough well I, won't, I, won't I, exp- I would imagine
0: yeah i won't i won't explain mankind we'll save that for when we do like the and the Gaio episodes and we have to explain who she is for example yeah, exactly. <laughs> um in your house though we're sort of like before every pay-per-view had its own name uh The WWF only did four or five major pay-per-views each year and then they decided they wanted more money because WCW were doing more pay-per-views at the time. And so on the matches that weren't the big shows, your WrestleMania, your SummerSlam, your Royal Rumble, your Survivor Series, obviously not in that order, they would have a slightly cheaper two-hour pay-per-view called In Your House um, with an extremely 90s uh, house set uh, serving as the background. Um, And they would be like... Fifteen bucks, and they'd sort of be like, I don't know, like a like a big raw that you had to pay for. Really, um, not quite a, a proper pay per view, and not quite a TV show.
2: A bit of um, nineties like Saturday Night Main Event kind of that you had to pay for. Yeah, yeah. Or Clash of the Champions, maybe you know. Those, yeah, that's the, the, the best. Yeah, way. Like, that's pretty exactly, much the in between yeah. little pay per views. Yes,
0: Clash Clash of the Champions that you had to pay for because Clash was on free TV. Yeah, yeah, and so. This is the 10th the one of those. They must have been doing all right. They must have been doing all right at the time. Apparently, this sold out like 14,000 people in mm-hmm. the building, which surprised me, particularly because of how this match was built. I watched the... Today, I just skimmed through the, the two roars leading up to this. There is almost no build for this match. Uh, um, Sean does a pay-per-view that's half pushing the Jim Cornette versus Jose Lothario match that's going on on the same show. (laughs) Um, The segment building Mark Henry versus Jerry Lawler goes longer. And then the the go-home roar, there is literally an ad for the show, a card rundown of the show, and a 30-second Mankind Paul Bearer promo that has Bearer singing Sean's music and Mankind asking if winning the title will make him a sexy boy. (laughs) There is no feud between these two. It's completely cold. Um, I've skipped over what I usually do uh, when our guests first appear. What is it about this match that had you put it on your list, Jamesy?
2: Um, It's not. I don't have a personal story, I would say, about this match. In fact, I wasn't avidly watching WWF back in 1997. Um, I, I I was 16 at the time, giving away my age there. Um, oh, I know that. Don't and, worry. <laughs> and I was I was dabbling in WWF TV, but my, my interests were elsewhere at that time in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I put it on like because it's number one. It's a great, great match. Genuinely, a great match. I, I do think it's one of the best matches in in company history. Um, I think it's a five star match. Um, but I also put it on there because, and again, I don't want to get straight into talking about the match here, so mm. I'll keep it vague. Um, when I went back watching this match in hindsight years later, I feel like this was a match that very much formed a lot of my strong opinions on wrestling and formed some of my tastes in wrestling. It does um, have a good chop
0: block in it, right? In your it famous, has so you're a chop block in it. <laughs> yeah, it has a chop block Absolutely. in it. Absolutely.
2: I, sh- I should have picked 15 matches with chop blocks in them for, for that <laughs> list. In hindsight, it would have been the perfect Jamesy list. But like, it is what I would call a Jamesy match, in inverted commas. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it does a lot of the things that I like in wrestling. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I need to embellish any further because we will go into those mm-hmm. things as we go through talking about the match. You know? So very much, I think, a great match. genuinely a great match, mm-hmm. a five-star match, and very much a me match.
0: So I'm going to throw a softball question at Mark, and I'm pretty sure I know the answer to, <laughs> as it's a running theme on this show. Mark, when
1: did you first see this match? I'm going to shock you. The answer yes. is not this week. The answer was last week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I have never seen a brown shirt uh, Mick Foley uh, Mankind match. Oh, I've wow. only ever seen a couple of like white shirt Mankind matches and it might have been just the one where the Rock absolutely uh takes liberties with the chair shots i think that might be it
0: wow did it surprise it. you at how little of mankind there was how thin he was in this match because that's surprised- the i rewatched this a- again mm. today and i was like foley looks half the size i genuinely remember him as being
1: i i wouldn't say i overly noticed that to say uh not really um i i've got a lot of thoughts on this match um, sure I'm going to very quickly try to maximise my time speaking Uh, and just a couple of things I wanted to point out. Apologies uh, on that. Uh, First of all, two uh, in-your-house matches are on the top 104 that we'll be covering on this podcast. So this is the first of them. Mm -hmm. This is the first of three Mick Foley matches we'll be covering. So this is our second Shawn Michaels match. And I just want to quickly point this fact out that as I was looking for the data... Uh, there's a run of eight WWF matches uh, on the top 104 chronologically. And that run of eight, which goes from SummerSlam 92 to Bad Blood 98, either Brett or Shawn is in those matches. And I think that sums up the 90s is that literally everything yeah. that's been nominated from the 90s in WWF is a Brett match or a Shawn match.
0: And not Mankind versus Undertaker, Hell in a
1: Cell. That was the next one.
0: Ah, that comes after that. Okay. Ah, that Chronologically after. after that. I see.
1: Interesting. So so those eight matches only contained eight different wrestlers.
0: Wow. Okay. Okay. Right.
2: Yeah. I'm now who it could
0: be. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it's probably not you know, going to be the Blackjacks, is it? Or, uh, <laughs> or, you know, there's not a lot of gold dust on this list. There's not a lot of Henry Godwin on this list.
1: <laughs> I... I I'll basically I'll let you in. The other six were Bulldog, Razor, Owen, Mankind, Taker, and Austin.
0: Yeah, that is oh, that is the main oh, event team.
1: No, I didn't count, Mister Perfect, because Royal Rumble '92 was between then and I'm not skewing up my numbers.
0: Ah, okay,
1: okay,
0: okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Jamie, you mentioned this is a five star match to you. Uh, mm. I think uh, Meltzer went for four and three quarters, and. Um, uh, have a nice in have a nice day Mick Foley calls this the best match of his career he also knows this is the first time he and Sean ever faced off and i had a look and they did a week of house shows in january 97 and they only ever had one more televised singles match which was on raw like 11 raw, match yeah. 11 months later for the best match of his career it gets a scant two pages in that book which surprised <laughs> me i'd think he'd go on longer about it but apparently not is there anything else anybody wants to talk about before we talk about the match itself?
2: Just how woeful the undercard is for this particular show.
0: <laughs> it's,
2: it's like, it's, you're just reading it. There's, there's a one-minute Jim Cornette versus Jose Datario match in which yeah. like, at this point, neither of them are active wrestlers by any means. Nope. I think the second best match on the show is Taker Goldust which yeah they do like, they
0: do uh like a no holds barred type match don't they like yeah a street
2: fight yeah and looking looking at cage match that's the that's the second best match of the show at a whopping four point something <laughs> so Good like that's Lord. the level we're at yeah yeah it's pretty poor stuff i mean
1: but. it's pretty close to the story for uh ray versus psychosis from a couple of episodes ago yeah. where yeah. if you look at the cage match ratings for everything except the main event which probably just got oh it's you know really important match but still not great those were down in the toilet let's be honest those ratings
0: yeah yeah it's uh it's interesting it wasn't really the wwf wasn't a work rate promotion at any point really as we talked about um when we i think when we talked about when we did the ray and sekosis match um if it was it was it was heavyweight work rate it was Big guys move doing punches fast rather than, you know, flips and innovative man- maneuvers or anything like that. Um I would say I would say there's a few a little bit of innovation in this match though. There were some some spots I wasn't expecting, so I I would have seen this around about the time it happened, not long after. But I don't, until this week I don't think I've watched it for at least fifteen years. Yeah. Uh, sitting on a mick foley dvd that 's hidden on the second row of my dVD so when you know my normal friends come over they don 't see all my wrestling stuff <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> that that particular dvd is is quite important in my fandom as well because it was it was the first of the Remember, they started doing wrestler compilation DVDs there. Yeah,
0: uh, A lot of them started off. they did the WCW buyout because they had all of that footage. So there was the Flair one and they could start with the NWA matches on it and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's what kickstarted a lot of that stuff.
2: And, and the Foley one was one of the first ones. And um, I remember I got the Flair one and absolutely loved it. Yeah. And then said, right, I have to get the Foley one. And I, I was a student at the time, so I had to save up my money to buy this. It was probably mm-hmm. like 30 euro or something obnoxious like that. And I had to go to the HMV on Grafton Street in Dublin and I had to order it. And I kept going in like it took fucking like, six weeks for this thing to come in. <laughs> so like by the time I actually got it, my anticipation was through the roof. Yeah. And, and again, specifically remember this match being the standout match on that DVD, like there's, there's a whole lot of great matches on that DVD. It's really it's actually a really good compilation set. Um, Is that the I the, the three fa-
0: the three faces set,
2: or the hard knocks yeah, and cheap pops? Oh, hard knocks, cheap pops. Yes, one, exactly. that's the one I've yeah, got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still have it in the press here beside me somewhere, <laughs> covered in scratches at this stage. <laughs> but uh, I don't even know if it would play anymore. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Good good memories of that DVD coming out for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah indeed. Um, so the match itself uh is i mean foley has sort of been parachuted in as challenger of the month for sean as we mentioned there was no story building up to this i think he's here because he's kind of he's a good hand is a term that's sort of thrown about a bit much uh and generally means okay wrestler these days but like He he, Foley was, I think, put in this position because he could be relied upon to have a good match with Sean. And they kind of turned up the dial, I guess. This was, I mean, I was going to get to this at the end, but it seems pertinent to do it now. This kind of was part of a slow turn towards the WWF pay-per-view main event house style being a big, dramatic, just about contained brawl. The oh, arguably okay, yeah. it argued that period kind of arguably starts with the brett and diesel no holds barred match of survivor series the night the year before and there's also the Bretton bulldog match from in your house five where brett does a sneaky blade job and pretends he banged his head on something uh there's a brett and diesel cage match in your house six there's the Bretton and diesel uh, sean and diesel no holds barred match in your house seven uh the mad dog for sean leg match um uh Bretton Austin at Survivor Series is kind of in that vein and then Final Four in February next year you kind of really turn towards that house style as we shift away from the new generation not quite not into Attitude Era yet but there's this this funny kind of bridge between the two eras if you like
1: As someone that's uh, that's never seen this era at mm. main events it really does feel like almost a prototypical or slightly not quite as we'll see it version of like the, the main events should get in 2000, 2001, basically which
0: are kind of like the speed heavyweight matches I was talking about before. Mm. Mm. Um, well, you know, speed heavyweights and razor blades a lot of the time. Cause there seemed to be, there was a point where there was just like the main event of any WWF pay-per-view was guaranteed to be somebody was gushing blood everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's none of that in this match. Um, the first that spot that really kind of mar- kind of marks out as being different to your standard WF main event uh, is quite early. They go onto the floor uh, and Mankind peels up the, the ringside mats. And while the mat is up over his face, Sean kicks him, knocking him back onto the concrete with the mats on top of him, and then just jumps up and down on top of him. And that's the kind of thing you didn't get in, like, prior main events and prior matches. And that, you know, that makes it slightly... Slightly different. Uh, the finish is definitely different, but we'll get onto that in a while. Um, there's a weird bit. So Sean goes to whip Foley corner to corner. And well, no, it's the other way around. Uh, Sean ends up doing the run into the corner and jumps up onto the, the post to do a, I guess, a twisting crossbody or something. And Foley just doesn't go with him. So Sean just mm-hmm. runs back across the ring, yelling Come on, and kicks him. And Mankind completely out of character slaps him. <laughs> And I thought I
1: I was like, I don't remember this breaking down. And Sean's punches afterwards, to me, it looked like Sean was legit pissed. And I'm trying to think, is he legit pissed? Is he playing into this ag- aggressive side? It is fascinating because there's a there was a few things I did not expect from this match, and that mm. was one of them.
0: Mm. They weren't like, they were sort of like semi-worked punches. You could see he was going mm-hmm. like for the forehead rather than hitting him in the face, but he was hitting him quite hard in the forehead mm-hmm. to, you know, to kind of uh, ram home that we should probably get back on the same page and stop faffing about. It's
2: it, it's a definite, I wouldn't even say a botch, but it's it's a little misstep Yeah, that you kind of mm-hmm. have to be watching closely to see. And it's... um it reminds me of that classic clip of of Sean losing when he loses the head with Vader. Yes. You know, that classic clip of him when he he kind of has his... He was prone to having these little in-ring tantrums around this time, you know. And I think this is a mini version of one of those. Mm. But for me, it's one of those great cases where the botch, I think it actually makes the match better because it, it fires Sean up.
0: Yeah, this happened only a month after that match with Vader and he must have been thinking, oh God, not again. Not again. Another yeah. of these bloody yeah. WCW guys who won't do what I want him to do. But, but, but it brings fire out in
2: him and he starts throwing really good right hands. And to me, yeah, it, it, it's like... I, I think they were determined to have a great match anyway. Um, yes. And I think this just gave another 10% to Sean and it gave an extra bit of oomph to everything he does in the match. And to me, it's one of those happy situations where the botch actually enhances the match and makes everything better, you know. And as I said, I wouldn't say Sean's right hand is the greatest in the world, but those punches he throws just after there are
0: pretty good punches. Oh, yeah. You know? I,
1: I, I, I was I surprised it, how many he was throwing. I really was. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's get get this guy back on side. Yeah. Um, One of the things I liked about this match was, so very often in a match, it'll be, for example, target the arm, and the arm is the story of the match. Sean goes for the leg to start off early on, and that's his first plan, and it doesn't work. And he has to have a different plan later on in the match, which I think is much more organic than the standard, let's do the arm for the whole match type thing. Um, It did, unfortunately, result in some of the crowd chanting, boring, while they were in a half crab. Nobody was chanting boring by the end.
1: <laughs> what I absolutely love about this match was the structure. There was so much of a shift. It, it wasn't the same story. It had so many different twists and turns. Like Before Sean's working the leg, there's a bit where it literally feels like a Shawn Michaels finishing sequence. It feels like Sean's going through the motions. He's hitting his big moves. He's going for the super kick. Hmm. And as soon as Mick Foley sees that foot coming towards him, he pegs it out the ring. Mm. And I love that. That was like, you don't see that. You see things similar to it. You don't see that kind of thing where it's like a finishing stretch has been plugged in and someone gets smart to it and then gets on top. So
0: mm. well, Sean never it, actually hits the super kick in this
1: match. Well, he is something, but we'll come to,
0: well, that. yeah, they kind of <laughs> pre- try, try to pretend it is, but it isn't. Um <laughs> yeah. I, I would say about the legwork.
2: Um, it's it's also one of those situations where like you can have legwork in matches sometimes and it's done and it's forgotten about and yeah. and i could see some people and i'd like to get mark's thoughts on this like i could see someone watching this match and saying well they did legwork and then they forgot about it and after a while foley just stopped selling it and that's a fair enough point but this is where i this is where i think this match is really good like it's 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 true to the characters because there's that brilliant moment where where um, Mankind is sitting on the ring apron and I think it's a pencil he takes from Paul Bearer yeah. or something mm. really, really sharp and repeatedly stabs himself in the leg with this pencil. And like, I, I've never seen anybody do that before, but it's perfect for the character. It's almost like he's trying to get the blood flowing in the limb again or something like that after Sean has worked as really, really well for the last five minutes. And it fit like Mankind's whole persona was... That he liked pain and that he thrived on pain, and that he was in such constant pain in his life that his his goal in the WWF was to inflict that same pain on other people. So, doesn't it make sense that legwork wouldn't work on this guy?
1: My take on the the leg selling is, for the most part, especially before then and up to like as you say the submissions that Sean puts on, Foley's leg selling is great. It's I I love the leg selling. I love the leg work. It works really well but by the time you get to the end I wouldn't say it's something that I'm nitpicking because the thing is mix selling or mankind's selling has shifted from selling the leg to just this sense of he is battered he is weary he is struggling to keep going but he's still going so you're not necessarily noticing that he's not selling the leg because you're noticing him selling everything else it's kind of It's almost got into the story of the leg isn't the only thing that's bothering him. It's Mm. like, so he's just struggling through, uh, but he still keeps going. And for me, that's the story of the match is that Sean is trying everything he can, every different strategy Mm. out of desperation because mankind's not slowing down. Well, the very, small build,
0: the very small build to this match in the, the ads that they played a grand total of twice on Raw was um, how is Sean going to survive the insanity of mankind? Um, Sean does a power slam in this match. I don't think I've ever seen him do in any other match. Like, it's a very mm. un Michaels move, particularly on somebody who is bigger and heavier than him, for sure um uh sean does he does a crucifix into a sunset flip resulting in the almost almost the full vince bingo card of cool cliches in one in one line (laughs) sean michaels what a maneuver one two he got him no he didn't if you had unbelievable in the center square that's a full house in a single in a single call (laughs)
2: <laughs> um, We're also given a treat of Vince McMahon seeing, a, what seeing I would imagine, for the first time ever, a dragon screw leg whip. Oh, And calling, mm-hmm. and calling it, a, did he call it a, a leg twist or something like that? Something really quaint, like a leg twist or something like that.
0: I can't remember what they call it, but it's the WWF of 1996. And you know that nobody at that desk knows yeah. the phrase yeah. dragon screw and is going to use it. Particularly yeah. Mr. Perfect, who, um, there's a bit near the beginning where he, Vince just played over him and goes into his special fins voice while he's yelling about Sean Michaels uh, for about a full minute. I, w- I didn't catch one word of it because that that's like an uh, an hour blank spot to me that voice. Um and there but Sean does some good covering for Sean later on. So, um how does Sean cover for Sean? Uh no, perfect covers for Sean. Well done. Um uh, Michael's pie face is the ref. He's, he's still in the middle of his angry phase. Uh, and Ross pretty much outright calls him stupid for doing so. And Perfect covers saying, oh, the mind gazers have gotten to him and he's clearly not thinking straight. And then later on, like, the his, Sean's focus shifts from uh, mankind's leg to going after the mandible claw hand. And there's a mm. bit where he's stamping on the wrong hand. And Perfect's like, oh, he's clearly trying to take out both hands. His little bit of, I guess, you know, kayfabe wrestler insight.
1: That that seat that first sequence with the um when the mandible claw first comes in is mm. just I've never seen that before. Where uh mankind has been whipped into the ropes and he's ended up getting caught neck first. You've never seen the hangman. The ropes. I've never seen a neck hangman.
0: That's how that's, that's how Foley thing. lost his ear in Germany mm. doing that spot with Vader, and the ropes snapped back and tore his ear off. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. And he kept I, doing it. Knew- <laughs> and he kept doing it. Yeah. Three <laughs> well, years and years afterwards because he's mental. <laughs> well, I guess the, the, the WWF ring crews are a bit more, um, you know, compassmentist than whichever guys they got in Germany to put that thing together. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, it is a great spot. The crowd goes nuts for it because I don't think anybody had done it in the WWF to that point. Mm. Um, and, it looks incredible. It's yeah,
1: amazing and, every time. But mm. the best bit about it is, you see that you you think okay mankind's in trouble. Sean comes over hand comes up mandible claw that is that is a fantastic spot. Oh yeah, yeah, My, like
0: yeah. as you said like mankind is is clearly going to be in pain but here comes his adversary and like he is going to feel some of that pain as well. The mandible claw at the
2: time was like it had been built and built and built and built like it was yeah. a proper kill shot as well. That's mm-hmm. the other point about it like, like he, he had been putting away jobbers with that move for maybe the first three or four months of his existence in the company, you know? Mm. So it, it was a big deal. And the handwork is is the second, like uh, the legwork, mm. the first mm. great part of the match to me. But the handwork, I think, is phenomenal. And like it, it, you guys were talking to Lee and Dave a few episodes ago about you have to remember that this match is of its time. Yes, mm. And w- I think we've become blasé to handwork in terms of us in 2022, because... Because we've all technical... seen Pete Dunne.
0: Yeah, yeah. we've all seen yeah.
2: Pete Dunne. We've yeah. seen a certain redacted other British wrestler. We've seen, you know, handwork has become a thing and it's almost become a trope and a meme. You know, it's mm. almost become something, you nearly roll your eyes when people do it at this stage, yeah. you know what I mean? But back in 1996, nobody's working the hand. You know, no. like I, I have seen The Destroyer do handwork in 70s All Japan, but in terms yeah. of US TV... People aren't working the hand, you know what I mean? And this that's just fabulous psychology. You know mm. I mean? You know that this guy has a killer of a finish and to go after the hand is absolutely the right thing to do, you know what I mean? And it's, um, it's brilliant, it's interesting, it's compelling, and it's one, vicious. Go on, Mark.
1: Yeah, it's great. And one other thing that I noticed... Uh, during that handwork on the outside, it appears like Mark Zuckerberg has traveled back in time and sat next to the Spanish announcers. <laughs> There's this German guy, and he looks so much like Mark Zuckerberg, it confused the hell out of me. <laughs> Let's go back and have a
0: look at that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, So, James, you mentioned like uh, uh, mankind has been plowing through jobbers with the, the Mandible Claw. Most importantly, in WWF canon, he's put down the Undertaker with the Mandible Claw, who, you know, the last person to put him down with anything closely resembling that was Giant Gonzales with an ether-soaked rag three years ago. <laughs> and this is very much on a different level to that. Yeah, there's a lot of this that goes on on the outside. Um, they uh, Mankind manoeuvres the um, uh, Spanish announce table uh, very early on uh, mm. to, to give us our Chekhov's table for later. Uh, there's a great bit where after the hangman... Uh, they go outside and Mankind gets it on again. And Sean, to get off it just throws him into the barrier. But the best part is he very comically knocks Hugo Savinovich out of his chair um, as he hits the railings. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Sean gets hold of a chair and Mankind goes for a punch, which Sean blocks with the chair, swipes out his knee with it, and then smashes the mandible claw hand with it. Mm-hmm. And when I watched this through and wrote my notes, I, I wrote, stop being a cheating babyface, because babyfaces that don't stick to the rules annoy the hell out of me like in my world what? baby faces don't stomp stamping on a man when he's down is a
1: heel tactic mm. was sean sure meant to be turning heel around this point because it kind no, of i felt don't think so well, yeah I d- well he was just a bit of a prick um mm. i think this was
0: like an attempt to sort the of, persona. yeah yeah it's, he's it's the cocky it's, baby face you know yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and but it's like he's running out of options like there yeah. he's against the madman who feels no pain and will do anything uh, and so, like, well, he's managed to get hold of this weapon. If the ref's not looking, he might as well use it, you know, mm. just to get out of this situation. Just, just one thing there as well. The, mm. Another thing I really liked
2: about the way they set up both the leg work and the hand work was done in such an organic way. Yeah, like yeah. leg work, The leg work doesn't come about because Sean comes in with a clear plan and going to take his leg out. He kind of he hits his leg on the steel steps, on a suplex to the outside. Yes. And I don't think the plan even would have been in kayfabe to hit his leg on the steps, but he, he hits his leg on the steps and Sean, the opportunist, yes. sees his chance and goes for it in desperation. And the same with the, the hand, the way the way you said, like they set it up that he he blocks the swinging chair with the hand and then immediately Sean has his chance to pounce. You know what I mean? Yes. I just think that's that's really good. Like it's it's not... it's it it all feels like there's a flow to it and it feels like things are happening for a reason. And it's just incredibly well agented and well put. I can't describe how well put together this match is by everybody involved. It's just mm. really, really good stuff. Everything's yeah. happening for a reason. Things happen in the match that then affects the next 10 minutes. And it just gives the match this amazing flow more than
0: anything, you know? Yes. It's uh it all feels very organic and not, yeah. not planned out and not segmented. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that
1: structure of the match is probably my favorite thing about it. It's almost unique in how it flows in mm. the different segments. Mm. Uh,
0: and talking of that kind of organic nature, like Sean's comeback, not doesn't kind of come from him getting lucky uh, and finding an opportunity. Uh, like mankind's getting frustrated, and he dumps Sean in the in the casket that he was brought out to ringside in, um, and. Sean starts immediately and kind of starts his comeback, punching his way out of the casket, simply because he has time to. Like, Mankind has given him a few seconds, and mm. as he sticks his head between the ropes, again, it's sort of an opportunity to give him a right hand to the face and start, kind of start the comeback. Um, there are many things to dislike about Shawn Michaels. His flying forearm is not one of them. It's oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Oh. And you can yes. see why so many other people do it today. Uh, like I'm seeing the uh, evolution of that in, uh, Knosti Tekeshta does a flying clothesline in the same manner where it's like the immediate step off the rope straight in, mm. straight into mm. it. And the height he gets out of it and the, the dynamism of it. And it's the same in this forearm here. It's so good. He, and it's kind of like you sort of know it's coming, but he also sort of hits it out of nowhere. Yeah. Every mm. time. Yeah. Um, uh, so we're, we're coming up to the we're coming up to the 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 end now, and like uh, Sean hits a top rope crossbody for two, and he goes up again. Mankind crotches him and climbs up behind him. He gets, I only gets as far as the bottom rope and goes for a back suplex, I guess. Uh, but Michaels turns mm-hmm. and they go through Chekhov's table with Foley taking all of it, and <laughs> Michaels just landing on top of him. Um, I originally wrote how he missed all the monitors and tech equipment is still a mystery twenty years oh. on. Yes. However, the biggest – the thing I noticed watching it again today is one of those heavy monitors starts on one end of the table, flies over Foley and lands on the other end as the table breaks and doesn't hit him at all. And let me tell you from experience, those things are fucking heavy. And like, if that hadn't flown – imagine getting one of those in the nuts after you've just had Shawn Michaels land on you and you've gone through a table. That would have been just – yeah, those pointy corners and they're, they're super heavy. But anyway – somehow mankind survives with this because he's the man who feels no pain i suppose Uh, and he heads up to the top of the chair uh sean leaps off a second one which has been mysteriously set up in the ring which i presume was by paul bearer off
1: camera no i had to rewind this because i needed to work out where the hell that red chair came from sean actually grabs the chair as he's entering the ring right so sean grabs the red chair and off-camera, he's set it up. Okay. So I don't know what Sean's doing with that chair, but off-camera, Sean is the one that has set that chair in position. I see. So I saw
0: Paul Bearer arguing with the referee, and I assumed he'd set it up, and that was one of the things the ref was admonishing him for. But fine, if it's Sean, it's Sean. Um, so uh, Mankind on the top row of the chair, and Sean leaps off the second one and kicks it into his face, which Jim Ross is desperate to call sweet chin music, even though it's sort of like a one-legged dropkick. Yeah. michaels uh then makes the slowest cover in the world uh for earl hebner to make the slowest two count in the world and then gets off at two because uh in the words of our friends at days of thunder a large man has appeared uh <laughs> and vader is in the ring uh and he and sean get into it for the disqualification um there's a whole we've got a whole lot of post-match goes run through the post match quickly so paul bearer waddles in and clonks sean with the urn. As sid runs in and he's Vader with a series of what we can charitably call punches. They're so weird. It, like he holds <laughs> his fist back for a good five seconds before he sort of gently taps Vader on the side of the neck with the butt of his fist, and he do, it, does that all the way up. It's the like
1: if someone learned how to throw a punch from photos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: it is, exactly is. Yeah, but no but photos of like john wayne in a bar in a western bar brawl <laughs> yes. it's like it's that big obvious classic cinema load up and punch um something i'd never noticed before is bearer holds the urn upside down to revive mankind <laughs> okay uh, uh and foley kind of comes back to life gets the claw on michaels gets bearer to open the casket uh and when bearer can finally get his fingernails under the lid and open it uh, the Undertaker pops out and the place goes fucking bananas. Um, you've heard. They love,
1: love Taker's purple marigolds.
0: They do. <laughs> um, so so Sean got a big pop on his entrance, but it was like, it was extremely high pitched. It was like rock and roll express high pitch for Sean. Everybody is cheering for The Undertaker when he comes out. Uh, he chases mankind up the aisle uh, and that's your lot, really. So uh, I will go to Mark first. It was your first time seeing it.
1: Uh what's your take on this match? I'm I'm not sure if I'd put it up there with being one of the best WWE matches I've seen probably because I'm coming at it from a different perspective where it mm-hmm. doesn't have that element of freshness because I'm used to seeing what this kind of style would become uh because I'm probably naturally at my heart a little bit more of a a work rate rather than a Brawley type guy. Mm-hmm. But it's one of my favorite structures for WWE match. I loved the structure. I loved how it flowed. I completely see why people love it. I there's so many great elements of it. I what I think personally that finish kind of took me out of it a little.
0: Yeah. 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 Uh, and James is this still five stars up there for you. It is. And I don't mind the finish in the context of
2: it being a kind of a, a Saturday night's main event show where you're, mm. you're building towards something bigger. And it's kind of it, it is a good little indicator of like it actually was very well booked in those days where you they had a fairly tight main event roster. But everybody was interacting and everybody mm. was kind of feuding around each other almost like the big overarching feud at this point is mankind's against Undertaker yes, and they kind of get back to that again and that kind of thing And but like f- for the pace for 1996 for the pace that they set in this match it, it's, it goes at a serious rate it's mm. never boring for 26 minutes you are mm. interested in everything that's happening mm. I think that the innovation of the table bump like they people weren't going through tables that often in WWF at this point No, the, the, first, of-
0: the, the, the first one was the uh, as we mentioned the, the Bretton Diesel no holds barred match yeah. in uh, yeah. Survivor Series uh, the year before yeah, and how mm. organic it was. Like,
2: mm. it takes you by surprise. You, you know, you remember the table being there, but at the same time, you forget it. Yeah. And like, when they, mm. when they come off the top, because of the way the camera is set up, it is a genuine shock and surprise. Like, it is really, really well done, I have to mm. say. Um, and the fact that they didn't remove the monitors gives it a sense of danger. And as you said, when it literally explodes and paper and cameras go everywhere. Yeah. It's a great, great visual. Like it really, really is, you know. Mm. So for me, yeah, I still have it as five stars. One of my favourite WWF matches of all time. I, I, I totally get everything that Mark said. And looking back at these matches now in hindsight, you do really have to struggle to put yourself back in the 90s mindset almost to, to watch them, you know. But, mm. But for me, a genuine classic, a really great match.
0: I think we're going to find that a lot on this show, like have, having to rewind our brains, if you like. Yeah. Um, it's when I, I
2: watch 80s wrestling at the same. You yeah. you'd have to put your 80s hat on mm, yes. and remember what you would do time period you're watching wrestling in. You know? Yes,
0: yes, indeed. And I tried to do that with this match uh, as mm. far as possible, but still, like as you've kind of said, like the, the, the DQ and the post-match kind of makes it feel like a Raw main event you've just paid 20 bucks for. Mm. And yeah. I couldn't. It was... I will say it was slightly less good than I remembered it being. However, talking about it now has kind of made me enjoy it more, which is interesting. Like, there isn't an... I can't think of another match in the WWF like this one. Even though, as I said, they were moving towards that more kind of big brawl style. Mm. This was... felt... I don't know. um, Almost territories... Like, I could yeah. I could see, mm. you know, I mean, he's not as athletic, but I could see, you know, like Jerry Lawler doing this with Mankind in mm. Memphis or whatever, you know, particularly like the big spots on the outside. So uh, before we wrap this up, uh, Mark, is there anything uh, else you want to say about the match?
1: I, I definitely think for people um, like me who got into wrestling around 2000, thanks in part to when Channel 4 had... Um, the Royal Rumble, which was really when I first got into WWF, and sort of people that have seen the back end of the Attitude Era and not the stuff that came before, this is definitely worth going back and watching because it does feel like we've said it earlier it's probably not the start, but it feels like almost the start of what the WWE style would become.
0: Mm. It's part of the part of the transition, as we mentioned earlier on. Mm. Uh, and Jamesy, anything else from you? You brought this to us.
1: Yeah, well, I suppose
2: just like the the whole idea of the project was must see. And, and I do believe it is a must see match. I think it is a match people mm. should watch once in their lives. Like if, if you want to see, as you said, a company transitioning from an old way of doing things into a new way of doing things, a company that's finally having to accept that you can have a smaller guy and a guy that looks like a big Foley in their main event, um, <laughs> if, you want, if you want to see a brawl, if you want to see two of the greatest bumpers of all time. And I think if you're one of these people that maybe doesn't like Sean or has criticisms of Sean. I, 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 and like, I'm no massive Heartbreak Kid fan. But if I was to say, if someone was to say to me, what's a good HBK match? And what's a match that maybe... You could use to argue back against many of the criticisms of Shawn Michaels. I would say this is this is one of, if not the best match that you could possibly do that with. You know what I mean? He he comes out of this match looking very good for me. He does a lot of things that he's not given Mm -hmm. credit for doing in this match. Um, So, yeah, as I said, it's must see matches. And I said, I really do think this is a match everybody should give a chance to at least once in their lives.
0: Absolutely, uh, and on your point about Sean, like for all the for all the many things you can say about him, for, and for the the backstage uh, Michael Hick and bottom of you know ninety six and ninety seven, you cannot argue that he can absolutely go. He can. Mm. He would always mm-hmm. deliver, yeah. unless he what didn't feel like it. <laughs> he what you know when when the cameras were on and the lights were on and the people were cheering, he would give you the best match of the night. Almost out of (laughs) space. Yeah. Uh, And you mentioned about someone who looks like Mick Foley. Uh, Jim Ross very pointedly says at the beginning of the match, if mankind wins, he's a very challenging image to market. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Which is interesting for what happens three years on.
1: Yeah. I don't know what everyone's talking about. Have you seen the latest Mick Foley action figure? The man was ripped. (laughs) (laughs) Has
0: he got a buff figure coming out?
1: It's oh, ridiculous. it's ridiculously oh, yeah? he, it's like we're, we're V-shaped. talking <laughs> V shaped like Triple H, like six abs. Oh, amazing.
2: It's, it's a mankind wound that, that you can take the clothes off so you can see the body inside. <laughs> and it's,
1: it's ridiculous. He's shredded. This is worth going out your way to track down just for the, It's brilliant. Oh,
0: I, I will have to do that when we finish. Make the body, Foley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jamesy, thank you so much for giving up your time and coming to speak to us today. Uh, the floor is yours to plug whatever you would like to plug.
2: I, I don't have much to plug, really. But my Twitter is at Jamesy underscore 2015. I, I don't have a regular podcast home. I'm a, bit of a fr- I'm a free agent at the moment, lads. I'm moving between the territories, you know what <laughs> I mean? Having a match. But before the crowd gets sick of me, I move on to the next place and get my, pay, get my payday there as well. You know, so so nothing major to plug at the moment. Um, I, I did actually, I tell you what, I, I did a show recently on the Grapple Patreon about um, some more joke that I was actually very proud of. So um, pop over to the guys Patreon there and have a look at that, because I, I do think that that's actually a, a very good bit of audio that myself, Benno, Gareth and JP did about two or three weeks ago.
0: Tremendous. As for us, uh, we've collated all our links into a link tree, linktr.ee slash must see matches, and that has links to all the Twitters, mine, Marks, the shows, all the ways to subscribe to this show, the full uh, must see matches list, and more. Uh, we will be back next week uh, with another match and another guest, and we'll see you then. Bye.